Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. I need to learn to relax my vocal cords more to Ooh. speak louder. Who told you that? Morgan Freeman. Yeah. I mean, he's right. <laughs> not not personally. I watched a video about it. He's like, if you want to have a louder voice, relax your... Because I naturally have a very quiet voice. Yeah. And uh, when he was like, I'll oh, speak up, I've got to relax my voice more. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's all about p- pushing from the diaphragm, yeah. like down in your like belly rather than... Yeah, so I'm bad at that as well. Yeah, I push from my that. throat. Yeah, that's all I do. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, this is this good. is why we're not professional singers. No, you know? of course not. Yeah, yeah, be, yeah. Yeah. Um, one time, it was at Regent's Park. Where there was a young one of the young adults there. She has a beautiful voice. And, yeah. Um, her name was Yolanda, or still is Yolanda, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> She's not dead. And, and Yolanda's like, "Oh, Mitch, you can sing." And I start singing. She's like, "Please stop." And never ever sing again in front of me. Wow. Okay. <laughs> See. Um. So the head of the creative performing arts, you know, department at Excelsior, uh, classically trained opera singer, and she maintains that anyone can learn to sing quite well. That there's like some innate skill with tonality and being able to like mm. hear pitch and all of that, but that can still be trained. Some people are naturally better at it than others. In the same way that like. I was probably never going to be Usain Bolt, mm. but I could be a much better runner. Oh, yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's yeah, one yeah. of those things where like, I don't, I probably didn't have the body to be the mm. world's fastest runner. Mm. I could run a lot faster than I currently do yeah. if I really learned how to use the right techniques mm. and stuff. So Mitch, I reckon you can sing. Okay, don't give up on the dream. Maybe I'll take some singing Australian lessons. Idol 2029. <laughs> Here we come. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, yeah. So um, I... Um, kind of saw you and uh, Eddie on, on Sunday and you guys were looking a little bit sore, a little bit stiff. Yes. <laughs> what did you guys get up to? Yeah, we weekend? did a race called True Grit. All right. was, oodles of fun. Yeah. Well, it depends how you define fun. Yeah. Some people would not <laughs> define True Grit as fun. So it's a 10-kilometer military-style obstacle course. Mm. So it has like 35 obstacles from yeah. climb, like crawling under barbed wire in mud. Like actual crawl. barbed wire. Yeah, actual barbed wire. Yeah, you mm. cut yourself. You should see my legs. They're all covered in scratches. And mm. You paid to do this? I did pay to do this. <laughs> paid, yeah, a fair bit of money, actually. <laughs> yeah, oh, fantastic, though. Crawling, like, it's just amazing. I actually conquered a couple of my fears. I don't like small spaces. Ooh. And one of the obstacles was this tunnel. It's probably about 10, 15 meters long, and it was dark. And in, like, water, like, you're crawling through water. And I just was like, just keep my head down and go, 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 go. So it was really good to sort of overcome that. And the like, thing that, like, I just realized there probably were people in front and behind you. There was people. Tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would not like that yeah. either. That so, it was, so that was really good. And then I don't love heights. And so climbing over the nets on the heights actually was quite good for me because I'm like, well, I've got to get over this. To... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was, it was fantastic fun. The, my highlight was there's a mile long river section in like waste high water just yeah, right. like like trekking through pushing it. through yeah yeah right yeah. so gonna, good gonna do it again next year <laughs> love it love the it team dad bod look, yeah yeah and, and i look i i already said to uh, eddie when he told me the team name i'm like as, as someone who has a dad bod i resent that, <laughs> t- that team name <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you and eddie have yeah. dad bods but look i, I appreciate yeah, i appreciate you did really you well i did feel a bit bad i um I was trying to like stay with him and then progressively got just was like, uh, I'll see you at the finish line. <laughs> <Just keep going. laughs> 
it's all right. Yeah. Look, I, I feel like True Grit isn't a team sport. No, it's, it's, it's every man for, yeah, or woman for yeah, themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. No, very fun, very fun. Mm. Well, I um yeah have really been enjoying this Hebrew series, and I think that it was really cool to finally get to the passage, the chapter that mm. sort of um is what our whole vision for 2023 is anchored in. Excuse the awful <laughs> pun, um, but it was really really cool, and I think that um one thing that was really fascinating about it is the way that once again we see large sections of scripture um, in Hebrews really connect to one another. Mm. It's sort of, I I know, I think you would say you can't really have chapter five without chapter six and vice versa. They totally feed into Mm. one another. Um, So it does make it tricky (laughs) for us as preachers to be engaging with these larger chunks of scripture because there's so much more to unpack Mm. And there's a bit of the artistry of almost what not to say is like part of the battle. Um, For you kind of going into this, what was the big things that you really wanted to hit and make sure that people walked away under the, with, you know, having up their sleeve or under Mm. their belt? Great question. Uh, Probably to get the the seriousness of the warning. Mm. I mentioned it briefly on Sunday that, uh, yeah, uh, I'm not going to unpack it in depth. Wait for banter. Hence, here we are. But just to like take that warning and to be like, yeah, reflect on it, think about it, be a bit like, well, you know, have I been tempted to walk away from the faith? Um, mm. Yeah, that that language of um, to their loss, they're crucifying a son of God all over again, subjecting to public disgrace. There's like, com- like a lot of commentators don't really know exactly what that looks like. Mm. But the point is, it's bad. Like if mm. Jesus' crucifixion was terrible, and in like committing apostasy that's walking away from your faith Mm. it's like you're doing that again it's like Mm. you're publicly crucifying jesus and subjecting the public disgrace all over again i was like that's bad like that's something Mm. that's that's all tied in with that being a spiritual infant just Mm. drinking on the milk it's like you need to be growing and if you're not growing yes there is that risk of Mm. falling away Mm. and yeah I, i did mention on sunday like this letter wasn't written in an ivory tower it's written to people actually on the coal face who are struggling with their faith. Mm. And so I think for me, that's what I love about this letter. It's not just like a lecture in Bible college where it's all just like, it can always get a bit theoretical. Or what mm. about this? What about that? Mm-hmm. Like they used to do in Middle Ages, you know, how many angels can you fit on a pinhead? Mm. Like this is like theology for practical real life mm. challenges. Mm. And that's the, this is the danger that if you walk away from your faith, commit apostasy there's this judgment that's up ahead and Mm. that parable of the two lands like the you know do you want to be the land that's got a good crop with lots of rain or one that gets burned away and the one yeah you don't want to be part of that Um, but and so sit in that warning reflect on it and then draw the hope from that so this Mm. this is one outcome that might happen to you if you if you walk away from faith but and this is what he said he goes even though we speak like this dear friends we're convinced of better things in your case it's like, well, I don't think you guys are there yet. And mm. just gives that comfort, that anchor. Yeah, mm. we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. So that's, yeah. what, that's what Hebrews does really well. Get a warning, should be a bit frightened, but you don't just sit in that warning and that mm. miserableness forever. You get comfort from that. And that's, mm. I think, with a lot of God's judgment. God's judgment, it's not just permanent. It's judgment for a season, like the exile in Babylon, terrible. But then there's hope. Are you going to return back? I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. And I'm going to bring in your Messiah, Jesus. So Mm. so that was probably the big takeaway was for people to reflect upon where they are with God Mm. 
but also to take great comfort in what Jesus has done for us. It's really interesting because in, um, I suppose, in part, this message of encouragement of persistence um, for these Christians who are currently in a really difficult period. Um, You spoke both about the second coming of Christ, Mm. but also about different situations in their history of Israel, because we kind of assume that a large majority of this audience were Israelites Mm. or, you know, Jewish um, believers. Um, you mentioned the exile as well. Mm-hmm. And that's really fascinating because as much as that was a pivotal part of God's story and God was moving in that, mm-hmm. um, their, I suppose, um, freedom or, or deliverance out of exile um, wasn't the end. Mm-hmm. It was a deliverance out of a difficult season. Um, I just can't help but think as you're kind of speaking about this, um, I I think it would be fair to say, I don't think many people would disagree that our church over the past, let's say, you know, five, seven years Mm. has gone through some pretty difficult seasons. Mm. Um, Obviously, there is always the ultimate hope in a return of Christ. Mm. Um, What would you kind of, from a pastoral level, be speaking into a church such as ours that, I don't know, I see, hopefully, (laughs) coming out of a season of maybe not exile, Mm. Uh, but of difficulty and of struggle. Uh, what sort of message of hope and perseverance yeah, would, would um, you say this offers? Yeah, actually, this is where that kind of growth imagery came in yeah. last year and the season of pruning. Mm. And pruning is not pleasant. Mm. Uh, when you prune back a tree, it looks awful. Yeah. In fact, you think, oh, gosh, I've killed this thing. Yeah. But it's actually what you need to do. And, um, yeah, I think there's a lemon tree near the back of the manse mm. that's never been pruned. Mm. The fruit so sucks, right? It's terrible. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, it's no good. <laughs> it's awful. Like, yeah, so yeah. the tree is big and bushy and lots of... Yeah. Yeah, it's never been pruned properly. And yeah. So that's what I'd say. That's what I felt particularly last year, which did tie in with the whole steadfast word. I felt the Lord speaking for 2023 was that there's been a season of pruning. Mm. Like we kind of thought growth is in like, oh, we'll grow numerically. But actually growth is in need to be pruned first. Yeah. And then to get that better fruit. And... Yeah, there's an expression from the um, persecuted church. I saw in an d- open doors devotion is like the church is like tea. You know, the more boiling water you put us in, the more flavor comes out, mm. which is really cool mm. image of like, yeah, this sort of hurts, it sucks, but mm. more hot water, the better the tea tastes. Mm. The more pruning, the better the fruit. And mm. uh, I think I look back on life and some of the challenges that we went through, especially Asha. Uh, remember Rachel and I were saying, it sounds weird, but I'm glad we went through it. Mm. I wouldn't, if you know, you could go back and change anything in your life. I say, I would not change what we went through because it helped us grow as mm. couple, as parents, and yeah, that's what that's what challenges do. And that's when, yeah. in a sense, what Hebrews is about about perseverance in faith. Mm. It actually helps you to grow, and yeah. that's the problem with these guys. They hit a hard hard moment in their life. It's like, ah, I'm just going to stay in infancy stage. Like, no, no, no. Like, mm. got to get into that meat. Got to mm. grow. And mm. yeah, it's the same with children. I, I imagine Georgie's teething a bit right now. Yeah. It sucks, man. Yeah. But he needs those teeth. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's good. If you want him to grow up as an yeah, yeah, yeah. adult. If he wants to eat meat <laughs> yeah. and not just milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Teeth. It hurts. It sucks. But yeah. it's part of life. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. That would be my word for Jewel. And I guess that's been the prayer I've felt from starting here is that, yeah, church that's been pruned back quite a lot. but mm. And the thing with like exile and not saying that, like we said, jewels in exile, it correlates. But I noticed when exiles returned, it wasn't exactly like 
it was, mm. but God was still working. Yeah. And in many ways, it's, yeah, the past is sort of the past and mm. God's doing something new in the future, which mm. may be bigger, probably look different, and, yeah. but if God's still there, that's all that matters. Yeah. And that's how I felt the last two weeks have been really powerful moments of God's spirit mm. moving. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, God's doing something here. And mm. with the upcoming praise and worship night, yeah. God will probably do something more there. Yeah, so, amen. It's been yeah. expected. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, hey? Yeah, I, I do. Um, yeah, so many thoughts there. That's great, mm. mate. I love that. Um, mm. I think uh, with that idea of growth uh, mm. and then pruning, uh, I don't know. There just, for me, seems to be something inherently biblical in all of that. Mm. Um, I think of this sort of hope that, you know, the Jews had when, you know, Jesus kind of came onto the scene claiming to be this Messiah who was going to bring, you know, the kingdom of God mm. um, and the expectation that they thought that that meant and that Jesus, in so many ways, you know, the crucifixion itself, the first will be last and the, mm. you know, the least will be yeah. old first, last will be first. Um, this upside down kingdom, it's such a, um, yeah, countercultural and sometimes counterintuitive message um, that God brings to his people, mm. uh, whether it's through the very gospel itself or even through the prophets in the Old Testament. And I think that that's, um, yeah, just uh, although it can be seen as this idea of pruning to grow, uh, I think there's so much deep truth to it, not just on a practical level, but mm. on a really deep scriptural mm. level. Like it really aligns with what I see God's word continuing mm. to say throughout scripture. Um, there is obviously another side of this warning passage, and mm. this is probably the more difficult yes. side of it to uh, <laughs> speak about. But I think mm. that it really does, um, yeah, does, does, does want for it. Um, how do we sort of engage with this mm. this Hebrews 6? Um, yeah, for maybe if you want to read it first yeah. for us, if you've got it yeah, there, I've and then we can kind of unpack it a bit. Yeah, so it says here, this is from verse 4. It says, It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Mm. Uh, yeah. So this is a far. I promised everyone we'd sort of unpack this a bit. Mm. And one of the things in approaching a difficult text like this, don't go in with a theological framework. Mm. So what I mean by that is if you've grown up so with a Calvinistic view of scripture, mm -hmm. don't read it from a Calvinistic Can lens. Can you quickly unpack okay, for those so, who don't know yeah. what what if you had a Calvinistic yeah. view, what would that so, mean? So so Calvin is he created the I don't know if it was Calvin. So anyway, Calvinism talk, talks about tulip. So yep. it's an acronym which total depravity. Oh, is it unlimited? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, tulip. Yeah, yeah. But basically, tulip shows you how well I studied systematic theology. No, no, I, did, I, I didn't love systematic theology. We're, obvi we're obviously just passionate Calvinists. Yeah. You know? um, anyway, so Cal Calvin essentially taught that uh, humans are predestined, mm. and with predestination. Um, you can't sort of if God's like calling your spirit, like calling you, you can't reject that. Mm -hmm. Essentially, it's like, well, you know, everyone's been chosen, and you can kind of have this view of Calvinism that God, well, Jesus died for the elect, and so God knows His elect, and they've been chosen, and that's mm -hmm. and so like Scripture talks about, like Paul says that we've been predestined mm. before you know, the mm. formation of the world, and so there's yeah. an element of it there. And so, that, so Calvinists argue can't lose his salvation. Once God's called you, that's it. Mm. Once saved, always saved. Yeah. Um, 
Have you got the acronym for Tulip? Uh, yeah, I do. I, only because I looked up on Google. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so Tulip. So T stands for total depravity. So the idea that we are all yep. fallen um, and we all need a God to save mm. us. Uh, U stands for unconditional election. So yep. the saved people are called the elect yeah. and God picks them based not on their personal character or merit, but out of his kindness and sovereignty. Uh, L stands for limited atonement. So which you already mm. said, this idea that Christ died only for the sins of the elect rather than for the whole world. And it's those who then choose him that are covered by that gift that is offered to everybody. So yeah, a Calvinist kind of stands by the limited atonement instead. Um, I stands for irresistible grace. So essentially that if you are elected by God, you are powerless to resist Mm. it. Uh, And then P stands for perseverance of the saints. Um, So essentially, I mean, look, it's not dissimilar to irresistible grace, but it's this idea that you cannot lose your salvation. Uh, So yeah, I don't know. It's tricky when you read like Hebrews six, it seems somewhat um, counterintuitive to that. It does. Yeah. And so... And then the other side is Arminianism, which so argues that well, humans have free will and mm-hmm. can choose to ignore God. Mm-hmm. Like, say you feel mm-hmm. like God, you're old knocking on your heart, you're knocking yeah. on your door. You can say, "Nah, I don't want that," yeah. and yet you can lose your salvation. And they would go to mm. a passage like and say, "Well, see, yeah, um, yeah, look, both men are, well, mm. probably, you know, they love the Lord, loved His Word, yeah, but uh, uh, the danger is coming to it." with a framework like that, you lose the big picture of Hebrews. It's probably where my area is. I'm a big concrete man. Mm. I, I, I deal more in biblical theology. Give me a story. Don't give me... And so what we have to look at is the bigger context of the letter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dave Matheson, he's a New Testament scholar, he's got an article where he notes that even though the language in Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, isn't directly related to the wilderness generation, there are kind of key words mm-hmm. which for a reader of the Old Testament would pick up, oh, that's sort of, oh, yeah, I can kind of see how the wilderness generation, like just the word there. So let me have a look here. So I've got here, for instance, that he suggests that the reference to those enlightened echoes the pillar of fire, which mm-hmm. the Israelites were enlightened on their way. So mm-hmm. quoting from Nehemiah and yep. Psalms, talking about that generation, the heavenly gift for those that was probably God's, the manner yeah, in tasted, the wilderness. tasted the heavenly gift. So, yeah. so he's saying here, you've got to keep this in the context. So we've just had a few chapters earlier about today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in mm. their rebellion. Mm. And that idea is that, that wilderness generation, they saw the exodus mm. and they rejected that. So mm. his argument is that he's just sort of reflecting upon that mm. again. And I mm. found that really, really helpful mm. rather than trying to argue like wow is is it tulip or is it yeah i mean isn't like whatever it is and look at it yeah. from well it just it ties in with the bigger argument of the book is that there were some here that saw what mm. god did mm. and they rejected it mm. and yeah and so that's how i look at it is that it's it is a, a warning mm. that you can taste and the israelites certainly did taste they did taste the manna from the wilderness but they sure. perished yeah what does that mean practically for us today? Mm. That, that is tough. That's tough because this isn't just some, yeah, again, pie in the sky, ivory tower discussion. There, sure, there are Christian parents out there who've kids have wandered away from their sure. faith and they're left going, oh gosh, like what's mm. going to happen to my son? What's going to happen to my daughter? Yeah. And so that's, yeah, these are, these are real issues to, to wrestle with. And mm. yeah, I read a lot of commentaries and there's a lot of disagreement and agreement about what 
this mm. looks like. But for me, I just come back to very simplistic. It's not good. Like rejecting faith in Jesus is not mm. good. Just like mm. that wilderness generation. Their bodies mm. perished in the wilderness. They didn't mm. experience the rest mm. that God offered. So it's mm. similar here. You won't be able to experience the anchor mm. that is the hope for, mm. for us yeah. if you reject Jesus. And yeah. so there's... Great commentary, the NIV application commentary. Um, it has sort of five views, which I'll kind of lay out for people mm. and sort of just show what yeah. what sort of the, the main kind of views that commentators have. So yeah. the first view is they call the hypoethical view, which is saying that, well, this is, this is a rhetorical impact. So this section alone, I think I mentioned on Sunday, is like the end of um, chapter four, we start talking about Jesus... I should say chapter five, Jesus being the order of Melchizedek, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Then he does the pause, which mm-hmm. is an orator's way of yeah. catching the audience's attention, do a digression, then you pick up the main theme again. So saying, oh, it's just a, this is a hypothetical view. This is just him sure. saying, oh, what might happen if you reject? Yeah. Not necessarily thinking about anyone directly. Yeah. It's just him using an example. Because and I can see some of the justification that, because he says in verse nine, oh, even though we speak like this, we're convinced of better things for you. Yep. So. Yeah. That's one view there. Uh, second view, it's a bit odd. I don't really know how you get this, but it's co- they call it the pre-conversion Jew. It says that those addressed to Jews, they're associated with the Christian community, but they haven't made a commitment to Christ. So mm. they're saying like, oh, not... Sure. Yeah, but I feel like, anyway, okay. we'll leave with that one. Yeah, so that's interesting. it. Yeah. The other one is the covenant community view, which... Um, so in Isaiah chapter 5, you got the Song of the Vineyard. So mm. God planted a vineyard. It was no good. Mm. A similar idea here is that you know, the, the Hebrews 6.4 is talking about the people of God mm-hmm. and God's rejecting the whole community rather than the individuals. So it takes a bit of a collective view, yeah. which I think is often quite scriptural. Sure. As Westerners, we read scripture individually. How does it apply to me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, <laughs> Jesus died for me. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. so yeah. I can see the strength of that. Well, that's probably how the, the New Testament, Old Testament authors thought was collectively, not as, just... As more of a yeah, group warning. Yeah. Um, fourth view is um, true believers under judgment view. That, yeah, this position holds that those threatened by the judgment of God indeed are true believers and they do face severe judgment by God but cannot lose their salvation. So it's a little Calvinist yeah, in that. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, and then the fifth view is I don't even know how to pronounce it, the phenomenological true belief review. This is uh yeah, anyway, this is what happens with anyway. Spend too much time in books. This interpretation holds that those under consideration must be judges having been true regenerate believers who have now lost their relationship with Christ okay. and can no longer anticipate salvation. So maybe so a little Armenian. Armenian yeah. yeah, okay, and interesting. Then, so that's sort of the, the, the yeah. kind of the big, broad yeah. brushstroke views. I think yeah. that is the fascinating thing, um, you know, when we look at different views, theological yeah. views of all different things, yeah. you know, throughout the Bible. Um, it usually isn't just one or one yeah. thing or the other. There's actually a broad range of things. And quite often um, they aren't necessarily always mutually exclusive. No. You can have a little bit of one and yeah. a little bit of another. Sometimes one or two of them are completely at ends yep. with yep. it or at, at odds with each yeah. other. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to take all these yeah. kind of different views in all these different aspects to kind of be thinking yeah. about and, this. And you can see some of the strengths of each. Sure. Item. You're like, well, yeah, I can see. Yeah. And... This is, I've probably said this a number of times, but 
how I love how the Jews read scripture two-handed you see one passage mm. as one thing you see something mm, oh it's a mystery God's a mystery that's what we celebrate but that's us Westerners influenced by Greek thinking we have to have this is the yeah. definitive answer there's one mm. correct answer and that's what we go with and yeah it's quite it's quite interesting actually because I feel like that sort of modernist view mm. of everything needing to be perfectly categorized yeah. into very square boxes sort of moving into a postmodernist mm. society obviously I think Christians can freak out a bit sometimes mm. in some areas where those postmodernist less sort of categorical distinctions on things um, can can apply we can freak out mm. and go ah there can actually be a real helpful mindset sometimes to apply to theology within scripture mm. of hey like it doesn't have to be black and white there yeah. is gray there in scripture is. yeah and that's and if you probably can't tell from how i think like i find systematic theology so that process of yeah, systematizing i mm. just really struggle with my brain yeah like, i can't remember tulip i'm like oh, what's yeah, tulip's yeah, 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 like, yeah. but if there was a story about I'd remember that. Yeah, yeah. That's how there I once worked. was a little tulip. <laughs> <laughs> he was totally depraved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. Sorry, I was so, being no, no. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I find that's for me, that's how I found quite liberating yeah. the scriptures. Look at like the passage as a whole, Yeah, how it fits in with the argument. And that, that day of Matheson um, article, it's long, it's like 30 pages. Yeah. But I just found that really helpful to unpack. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, looking at the Old Testament background, how it connects in with the rest yeah. of the book. And so saying like, this seems actually been picked up already. This yeah. isn't just a strange verse added in randomly to make us mm. write big books about and argue yeah. with each other. It's yeah. part of the argument, which is, yeah. well, you don't want to be left out of the rest. You don't want to be part of that wilderness generation. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, yeah. Is that, is this, and look, and I guess too, I, so this is one of the things that I've, learned as I've gotten a bit older is that sometimes I just don't know and I'm happy with that yeah I don't fully know what that means I yeah. just know it's bad that's the warning friends it's yeah. not good yeah and I think it, it is probably tricky as well um you know just sort of naming the elephant in the room <laughs> as two guys under 40 who have all, all of our kids under five yes you know it can be a little bit hard sometimes because mm. we probably uh, haven't had that very real experience mm. uh of, of kids you know walking away from their faith mm -hmm. or you know that kind of thing um, do you have sort of any pastoral response with all of this sort of in mind um, to somebody who's currently, I think, really anxious would probably yeah. be a good word. I think that's something that, you know, my, my experience kid falling away has faith. been people tend to reject church and the people like go to church, not God himself. Hmm. We have a friend we caught up with recently and yeah, Rach asked her, Rachel has a much better relationship with her than I do. And she asked her quite point blank, how's your relationship with God? And she really honestly said, yeah, not really great. Mm. I went to, she moved on to the beaches. I went to one of the C3 churches, but didn't really connect. Yeah. And for her, she, I see her as like the epitome of what Richard Beck calls the ache. She mm. did some pretty silly stuff, got into drugs, alcohol, slept around a bit. But I saw her as her like crying out for, like she had this, deep spiritual need and she did, all she got from her Christian friends was rejection and judgment and yeah and I think of my friends who've wandered away I think deep down it's more the church they felt judged they felt yeah like mm. they don't meet up to a standard mm. of church I was, yeah. I was reading I can't remember where it was but a, it was something about Hebrews about this guy that there's an American church and a, and a Native American 
came in without a shirt and the pastor <laughs> apparently got up and said, it's good that uh, to see those here are wearing the proper clothes attending yeah. day and like looked at this man wearing no shirt and it's like, yeah, that's, that's part of the problem is that people yeah. it often feel rejected yeah. and um, they actually still love God. And this our friend yeah. of ours, I still see there's a deep spiritual hunger. I think there's a love for God there. She mm. may not even be able to articulate it's still in there, but it's mm. the community of God's people that she's rejected. And so yeah. it's probably one of the exciting things that COVID has done is it's opened a way for church to be different and people to connect mm. to God on a new level. Mm. There's a new movie that's come out recently. Um, it's named, totally slipped my mind. It's about um, Greg Laurie, who is he's in his 70s now. Mm. Harvest Ministries and they're part of the hippie culture mm-hmm. and like the revival that was there with the hippies and it's sort of the story about how Jesus was working amongst this hippie culture which was so mm. different to yeah. the, the mainstream church culture mm. at that time mm. and yeah that, that's probably been my experience with people is that deep down I think there's a like even me when I wander away from my faith I never actually stopped believing in mm. God never, mm. it was just more like churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't like it. I don't find it relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You stopped believing in the church and stopped believing in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. And that that's, yeah, I guess for any parents out there that's sort of worried about where their kids are at, that's been, that's been my experience. And now, like, everyone's different, but it's probably, mm. I find people who tend to reject church. The idea of a Sunday, uh, 10 o'clock service, I'm not going to that, but... Mm dig a bit deeper there's mm. oh yeah no this jesus guy he's got a lot to offer yeah and uh, it's really tricky hey mm. like i like the closest experience i've had is really close mates who've fallen away from their faith or kind of you know walked away um yeah i i think both friends who have walked away from church and and friends who've walked away from jesus mm. I'd, I'd put them in you know different categories mm. um i think for me the two big things that come to mind is first of all um, making sure that we're not elevating the the meeting over Jesus. Mm. That's really tricky. Um, is, you know, because we're told not to forsake this. Do, do not yeah. forsake meeting together as someone in the habit mm. of doing. So it's I don't know. The the analogy that I sort of always use is look, if you've got a gym membership, it doesn't mean that you're gonna be fit. But it's a lot mm. more likely mm. <laughs> that you're gonna be fit. I think likewise, if you go to church doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect mm. in your relationship with Jesus. But I know a lot more people who go to church who are in a great place with Jesus mm. than people who no longer go yeah. to church who are in a great place with Jesus. Um, and I think, you know, that C.S. Lewis quote that we've oft quoted from the Screwtape Letters mm. that, you know, the, the, the path, you know, down, down for man is, you know, very um, shallow, you know, and gentle. Mm. I've totally butchered it. But it's this yeah. idea that it's not this sudden fall. It's, it's a gradual movement mm. away from uh, God's plan. I think the other thing for me is I've heard some people share, I mean, really quite heartbreaking stories when you start to really think about it, um, of stepping away from the church um, 
and feeling that they lost the community. Mm. Um, so why is that heartbreaking? Well, because they thought that the, the relationship that they had with those people went beyond a mutual belief mm. or a mutual activity that they did at one time on a Sunday or Friday night or whatever it is. Um, and then they suddenly feel like those relationships that were such a core of representing what God's vision is for a church coming together um, was actually really shallow and maybe disingenuous. Um, so what am I saying in all of that? I think number one, uh, with the church element, making sure that our faith is robust outside of a hour gathering on a Sunday. So it's not just what does your Sunday morning or Sunday evening or Friday mm. night or whatever you meet. <laughs> it's not just what does that moment look like. Uh, it's about what does your life look like? Mm. What does it actually look like to embody the fruit of the spirit? Mm. What does it actually look like to lay your life down for your you know, mm. spouse or your kids? All, all these kind of ideas um, rather than just elevating this idea of, uh, of church. Um, and maybe this like is going to be pretty crazy for a pastor to say, but sometimes going, Hey, actually like today we've got like this family event that's going on, you know, grandma's 80th mm. or whatever. Yeah. We're going to blow off church. Like, you know, it's okay. Jesus still loves yeah. us. It's going to be okay. We still love Jesus. Um, I think the other thing is, uh, going on to that relational part, thinking about how we as the church respond to people who no longer attend church. Mm. That's a real tricky one. Mm. Uh, for me, I feel like, and I think it'd be accurate that I'm at the busiest time of my life so far. Um, I only have a capacity. <laughs> I only have so many hours in a day. Um, so I, I sometimes feel like I'm just trying to play catch up to make sure I'm seeing my immediate family mm. enough. Mm. Um, but being intentional about who is God putting on my heart to reach out to who aren't currently plugged into mm. a church community. Um, because I think so often we can focus on the people who aren't in church mm. and aren't Christian um, and the people who are in church and are Christian. And we can kind of forget about this group of people who are probably becoming larger and larger mm. in Sydney who are Christian and not going to church. Yeah. And this is one of the things... Rant I'll... over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good rant, man. Preach it, brother. As Richard <laughs> Harris would say. <laughs> Shout out to Richard Harris. Most uh, encouraging man. It's <laughs> uh, uh, um, one of the things I love about the centre is we have the capacity to have I call them like Jesus communities mm. you can hang out downstairs in the renovated youth space yeah. and do church yeah. that'd be a bible study yeah. and for me sometimes that's there'd be some people here and you'd agree with me that some of our staff some of our people who just come through I would not invite them to church on a Sunday but mm. I'd stick them into a small group because mm. they're going to get more out of the mm. and for me it's yeah. um yeah, there's uh, it's one of the beautiful things about the New Testament. It doesn't prescribe anything. <laughs> mm. It can be frustrating. Like, oh, I wish we just had like a prescription. But that's... Can, can you just unpack that for a second? Yeah. Um. So you say like they read the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Like it's reading history. It's not this is the way that you should be done. You read Paul's letters. He doesn't say, well, I'm guessing Cream thinks he gives you a bit of like yeah. the order around tongues. Yeah. But there's no like, okay... You just have two songs, <laughs> two songs at the beginning. Then you do your announcements. Then you yeah. have a message that goes for... It's not prescribed. And even Paul says, ah, oh, look, it's in Colossians. It's, ah, some days are sacred for some. Some mm. Every day is just as important. And so mm. even the day of worship, mm. it's like, well, yeah, we meet on Sunday traditionally, but there's mm. no, 
hard and fast rule yeah. about it. it's not like god's going to strike you with lightning if you go well I, I think of a missionary friend that i knew when i was at college she was in taiwan and she said if you run if you run church on a sunday morning no one's going to come because everyone's at the markets that's mm-hmm. market day they're either got their businesses open or people are buying mm-hmm. she would literally run church house church midnight on weekdays wow. <laughs> because yeah. that's when people were not free. my cup of tea but i'm glad it was <laughs> for her yeah yeah, yeah. but like uh, this yeah. made me think about that like for these people their society was shaped around weekends or market yeah. days yeah they would work some of these shop owners that work seven days a week the best time for them to meet was at midnight to have mm. church mm. um yeah there's and that's kind of the freedom that we have with mm. yeah, you read the new testament letters very little prescri- prescribing how the service mm. looks like mm. more prescribes how we're to live our lives as followers of jesus in a daily basis not mm. just for an hour on a sunday morning or evening yeah um, it's really good uh, yeah it's really really good i think um in all of this there was a really uh interesting uh quote that you mm. sort of referred to hunting for magic eels mm. by richard beck which seems to be one of your new favorite books oh, look, it's a i have to check it out yeah, yeah. um yeah. but you spoke about this idea of the great ache and just for those mm. of you who you know maybe it was a second since you heard the sermon or you mm. didn't hear the sermon um essentially did you want to just retell the story yeah. first in the context of that so, so he begins his chapter with recounting a time he was playing golf with his dad and um beck's dad says ah they say he goes ah the problem with uh young people is you know they don't they don't desire god and church and richard says i actually i disagree with that i actually Mm. do think young people desire god they just don't know it and they call this desire anxiety depression Mm. loneliness and he goes Mm. on to just mention how Anytime when people talk about anxiety and depression, they're actually expressing a desire for God. Mm. This is a caveat, which I didn't actually say on Sunday, yeah. but he says, speaking to the very next um, sentence, speaking as a psychologist, I wasn't suggesting to my dad or to you that severe mental illness can be quickly fixed by coming to Jesus. Mm. What I'm pointing out is how very unwell we are as a society. Mm. The evidence is everywhere. And so he, he calls this the, the great ache like within our hearts there's an yeah. aching because you could say like the ecclesiastes language god's put eternity in our hearts mm. and so the, the chapter is about how as a church and he, this is what he the provocative whole hunting for magic eels is <laughs> disenchant disenchanted church we haven't made church in his words a magical mm. a spiritual experience we're not yeah 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 but some people don't think they're encountering the living god yeah and that's what he's arguing. We got to actually get back the wonder of like we actually worship a God who created this whole world. We worship a God of miracles. Mm. And he's not saying that we need to become raging charismatics or be sure. seeing miracles in church, but sure. we need to. Although I'm open to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's saying like we need to be going back to the roots of like we actually have a faith, and yeah. that requires that there's something more than just a material mm. aspect in the service. And he uses the example, which is. Provocative for someone who's Protestant is there's like transubstantiation while he doesn't agree with it. He goes, mm. actually, the Catholics, they believe they're witnessing a miracle. I'm going to see As this. Take yeah, mm. this bread and this wine actually transform into the body and blood of Jesus. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like that's what he's saying. Yeah. Is like we need to have a bit more faith in what yeah. we're doing. Otherwise, what's the difference between church and a political party? Hmm. He said, like, yeah. we're just teaching good morals. He goes, well, you can get good morals from the Democrats yeah. and the Republicans. Yeah, He's like, yeah, we yeah. need to be beyond that. So, yeah, yeah. Or even is. what what kind of changes us from, mm. you know, Marxism. Just yeah. like having one person who, you know, gave yeah. all of the truth down mm. and then we just follow that. I think, yeah. um, 
yeah, there was a really interesting um, idea that um, Tim Keller comes up with uh, in his preaching series where he talks about how we deeply desire these stories of, of mm. humans engaging with supernatural beings. And he kind of, you know, attributes the success of Tolkien and, and Lewis and, I mean, even, you know, mm. move forward to Harry Potter and all mm. of the, you know, phenomenal yeah. stories that we continue to want to engage in, even, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, interacting with dragons yeah. and all this stuff. Um, and ultimately, uh, from Keller's sort of um, surmising is that that, underpins a deep desire that humans have to interact with something beyond the mm. sort of normal realm yeah. that there's something within us that mm. aches for mm. magic yeah right the supernatural mm. um i think there's something beautiful in that and i think yeah i, I definitely see some truth in that mm. yeah so, yeah so a, a great quote and that was yeah i've just found that book really really helpful mm. in understanding yeah, well, we're living, having a deeper yeah. relationship with God. Yeah, and I love that. I didn't realize at the time that, that Richard Becky is a clinical psychologist, so mm. interesting, that kind of take. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, this is why we're a church that yeah. offers counseling. This mm. is why we're a church that, you know, yeah. believes still in, in all yeah. of those things. So, yeah, if you yeah. want to read some, here's a great little blog. He posts on review. says type in Richard Beck. Christian psychologist. There's a lot yeah. of Richard Becks out there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want to get the wrong get one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just has some great insights. Um, yeah, so yeah, just I've just found his writings really helpful. Yeah, in, and particularly because he deals with a lot of Gen Z mm-hmm. and millennials, so mm. he's kind of thinks a lot in that space sure. as an older yeah. Christian psychologist. So just dealing with problems for the younger generation who yeah. are wandering away from their faith. Yeah, so, so mm. good. Uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up Hebrews five and six? Mm. I think to just that. Yeah, well. It, <coughs> Obviously, chat a lot about the warning passages. Ultimately, yeah, Hebrews is pushing us to that hope. Mm. And like, well, we spoke a lot about Melchizedek mm. last week, Jesus being part of that, that ending sort of that digression with just that reminder. It's so powerful. It's just having that hope mm. as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, mm. enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And that language, forerunner, it's uh, language like someone who's. The, the scouting party gets gone ahead. It's mm. like a military term. Mm. There's actually there's so, even some evidence that Hercules, the same word was used of like Hercules, like mm. someone, a forerunner going ahead, mm. someone who's conquering, and that's mm. what Jesus has done. Mm. And that's why I love those. They showed that picture of the anchor, mm. which I actually think it's uh, probably a symbol we need to almost readopt in some ways, mm. the anchor cross. I like that. It's like an anchor and a cross, two mm. in one. Mm. Um, Though we've said here we should have a the center logo being an empty, empty tomb, <laughs> empty tomb. a soccer ball rolling away <laughs> yeah. from an empty because we tomb. have a cross with a ball as I our. I still logo. haven't decided whether that's a reverent or well, not. I don't know. I we have like... a cross and a ball. So, yeah, you know, yeah. well, what's, what's the difference? Empty tomb yeah. with a ball with on that side. Yeah, that's no, mm. so good. Um, yeah, I think like once again, I couldn't help but be struck mm. by what the writer of Hebrews defines as spiritual milk. I think that's oh, yeah. like a big challenge for me. Um, mm. You know, not again laying the foundation of repentance from acts that mm. lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. 
um i'm like okay well if that's spiritual milk like what's what's spiritual meat Meat, i think a lot of is what we've gone into Mm. today you know seeking something that's greater Mm. than just the you know um rigmarole (laughs) um and humdrum of a event service Mm. but something that is earnestly um and deeply seeking the living breathing god Mm. um something that is reaching out to people outside of the Mm. bubble (laughs) and yeah Yeah. something that is not just a sort of sunday sit down Mm. get you know sort of intravenously fed a bunch of information and and walk away with some fun facts but actually something that is equipping Mm. uh and instilling and growing us into a closer life that's why it's called a journey yes journeys imply that well you know you're growing continually yeah yeah we haven't just you don't just reach a ceiling marker and like okay that's good yeah good thing about um the christian journey it's not like uh exercise you know yes. there's a point where you hit yeah um yeah yeah what, what's what i want your goal like your i've goal, lost 20 yeah, kilos yeah. And or then, whatever well even just like well once you get past 30 you start to slow down yeah oh, and then right. like there is a word for that. I've had a complete mind. But anyway, point is, as I get older, I'm going to lose my fitness. Sure. As I get older. true, Mitch. <laughs> you, you're going to be Iron Man forever. But, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but the point with spiritual journeys, I can be 95 and mm. still be growing. And that's what it should be. Mm. So, yeah. As yeah. Paul says, physical exercise is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. And that mm. should be a difference. I recognize that. Probably when I'm 90, I'm probably not going to be doing True Grit anymore. Mm. But hopefully when I'm 90 and if I'm still alive, I'm still wrestling with the truths of God's word. Mm. And that's why, yeah, we keep journeying till we reach the heavenly Jerusalem. Mm. Or if Mm. we're fortunate, the heavenly Jerusalem will come to us. Wouldn't that be great? Let us Uh, never fall into the trap of thinking we've reached the glass ceiling of spirituality. I love it. So good. So Mm. good. Well, um, it's uh, over to me. It is, uh, yeah. So, Murray, what, what's happening next? Yeah. Sunday? This but, Sunday, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, looking at Hebrews 9, so kind of because we've, yeah, been trying to make sure that these passages of Scripture are actually um, unified and fitting mm. together in themes. We're jumping forward now to Hebrews 9 uh, and 10. There's a lot in there, mm. but I think the passage that was really sticking out for me uh, as I've been prepping for this sermon is... Uh, um, Hebrews 9.15, which is, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, what that means to have Christ as a mediator, uh, what that means to be inheriting a new covenant, um, and also what we can be guilty of uh, when we try and cut out the middleman of Jesus. Mm. I think that there is a um, pervasive lie within our culture that um, all roads sort of, you know, lead to Mecca. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea that, yeah, there are other roads to uh, reach enlightenment, to reach um, fulfillment, to reach, yeah, um, I suppose even purpose in life mm-hmm. that aren't Christ. Uh, and what that looks like and why we truly need Christ as the mediator, as the middleman mm. uh, to receive all things. Um, so yeah, hopefully it should be helpful. And I think one that is going back to some basics, but hopefully being able to bring some new insight. Yeah, to unpack to a it. bit of tabernacle. Come on. Oh, yeah. Love it. Well, <laughs> maybe unpack that for banter. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah. So the, this is something for banter. Yeah, description of the furniture and the holy of holies and all that. And that's it. Banter. Come on. Uh, uh, looking forward to that too. <laughs> Well, thanks for the chat, Mitch. Uh, Thanks, Murray. Thank you, dear listeners. We'll uh, see you guys on Sunday. Sunday. See you then. 
thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.